Welcome to the Think Education podcast. Uh, today, Judith and myself are joined by a colleague of Judith's, Professor Lisa Wallace, who will be joining us for the International Voices series. Uh, Judith will give uh, the full uh, introduction, as I think is now our normal uh, pattern. But uh, it's going to be, a, I'm sure, a fascinating conversation. Uh, Lisa is an Associate Dean International, but also has a, a medical um, background. She holds a Professor of Medical Science and pharmacology education, if I've remembered that correctly. I hope so, because it's not a word I can clearly say properly, <laughs> or, or indeed, therefore, understand at all. Um, I'll focus on the education bit, and uh, we'll leave the rest of it alone. Um, but uh, yeah, um, welcome, Lisa. It's a pleasure to have you have you with us. Um, and even though Judith and Lisa are our colleagues, we are still in three separate locations while recording, um, which is also normal for us. So um, Judith, over, over to you for the more correctly pronounced um, introduction. Oh, now you see, now now you've built this up a little bit because when I was reading through this note yesterday, I was thinking, you've got to get your act together on this, Judith. Don't pause on some of these words because they're long and I don't know what a lot of them mean. So, Professor Lisa Wallace, thank you for at least having what I think arguably, certainly thus far is the most complex linguistic biography that we're going to have. <laughs> Typical of people from Virginia, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say, guys, that might be a topic we come back to. Now, so just a few words um, about about Lisa, just to em embarrass her a little bit. Um, but Lisa is a professor of uh, pharmacology and uh, medical sciences at Swansea University, where, as Chris has said, um, she's the Associate Dean International, a role that she's had for just about 12 months now, I think, in the Faculty of Medicine, Health and Life Sciences. We've got three faculties at the, uh, at the University of Swansea. So in this role in particular, which I think she does for half of her, half of the time, um, she leads on all aspects of international activity for the School of Medicine and School of Psychology and the School of Health and Social Care. She's previously chaired the university's programme approval um, committee, which she misses hugely now she doesn't share that anymore uh, and she's advised higher education quality organizations in the uk and and across the globe actually in europe developing many projects internationally in for example south um, southeast asia and africa and i'm sure we might touch upon a couple of those examples as we go through now the eagle i was going to say can you have an eagle eared i think i think eagles might have ears but anyway the eagle eared amongst you will note as soon as Lisa speaks <laughs> that she she hails originally from the United States. Uh, she got a bachelor's in biology and a PhD in, in pharmacology and toxicology, University of um, Virginia Commonwealth and the Medical College of, of Virginia. And after a fellowship at the University of Cal California in San Francisco, reading this, I can see that my bio would come as a huge disappointment to so many people thinking of the West Midlands, unless you really like that. Uh, she was appointed as a lecturer um, at Cardiff University, um, which came to Swansea in 2015, where she's established a number of different undergraduate programmes. Lisa's a principal fellow of the Higher Education Academy. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Biology and of the British uh, Pharmacological Society. You see, this is when it starts to get complex. I'm really glad to be handing over to Lisa shortly. Um, 
She's uh, She's been vice president for academic um, development at the British Pharmacological Society uh, as well, and served as a, an, electric, um, an elected um, general trustee. Her primary research interest, and you could tell, can't you, by the build-up, that this is when it's all going to go terribly wrong, and I wish I'd got Chris to read all of this out, is, uh, is in the basic science of addiction. That's the easy bit, guys. Um, her laboratory work currently focusing on developing invertebrate models to investigate the intracellular signaling mechanisms of psychoactive drugs. Now, we were going to focus on that latter bit for this podcast, but rather than make it quite frankly that easy, we thought that we'd segue a little bit more smoothly into international higher education. Professor Lisa Wallace, welcome to the Think Education <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. And I'm sorry that my my biography has such um, linguistic road bumps. It is it is a little bit us nerdy scientists get kind of groove on the on syllables. So um, my apologies, but I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. You and I'm going to come back with the first question in a second. But you know what you could do just for the future, Lisa, all I'm saying is you could leave some syllables for somebody else. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you don't have to have all of them in every That's other right. word all the time just putting it out there as, as an I, I, and I feel like that's maybe a lesson I need to learn in my international role that that perhaps it needs to be condensed a bit to, to be a bit more translatable thank you I will take on board that feedback <laughs> to be fair that is a very good that is a very good I'm looking forward I know we've started to do our international travel now which is superb of course but I am looking forward to going overseas with you and seeing people Stumble across some of these words. At least your first name is Lisa. That will be the easiest bit, and then it'll all go terribly wrong. Right now, Lisa Wallace, your first question. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, Our latest book, um, Chris and I, uh, we're exploring the concept of 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 identity, And, and I'd be really interested to to hear from you, particularly given. You know, given your background, given where you're originally from, given where you're living now, given the career you've had um, uh, as well, you know, what what does identity mean to you? You know, how would you describe yourself to someone else? Wow, you're getting me back for those syllables. That is that is perhaps the biggest question a human can answer, I think, about themselves. And perhaps one that that more people should ask themselves, would the world be a better place if we all had a chance to reflect on that? Um, But wow, that is a really, really good question. And I think identity, to me, and identity, identity is always shifting. And I think also that my identity is probably different to different people in my relationships. So I'm a I'm a friend, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, you know, so I think all of those elements show different facets of my identity. But um, I'm also an academic, a, a role that I'm frankly surprised to find myself in <laughs> um, because I've never really considered myself particularly 
intellectual or I kind of I kind of went into to science and academics to prove something. I think I, I early on felt like I really needed to prove that I wasn't sort of a, a blonde cheerleader wannabe in Virginia in the 80s, you know, and, and really wanted to kind of say, no, but I'm smart and I will do this science thing. But then, but then I really got into science and enjoyed it. And I think for a long time, I had a lot, I thought I had a lot to prove, you know, to, to prove to other people that I was this great scientist and I was going to do all these wonderful things. And I think that my identity has changed within that, in that, um, over time and through my career and through my experience, I've kind of settled into my own skin and realized that this is who I am. You know, I'm a scientist at heart. I think I think like a scientist. Um, I like teaching science. That's a huge thing. I love, love teaching and getting science uh, into the brains of people that are um, interested in it. Um, but I think I have less to prove now and I just kind of I've started to have fun in things. And I think in my role now, I see myself as a connector. I like to connect people. Like I'm one of those people that loves a party and I love to introduce people. And I absolutely love it when friends of mine who didn't know each other before then become friends themselves. And I think that um, that's why I very much enjoy my role now. Um, so I kind of see myself as a connector, as an academic, but I think all those things change. And I, I, I see that perhaps evolving through time later, you know, what, what, what is my identity going to be later? It's, it's an interesting, a really interesting question. Uh, do you mind if I just follow up with maybe a short editor's note, um, so that we don't risk alienating our blonde cheerleader demographic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm not blonde well, anymore, but it's fake. So <laughs> I was I was curious um, how you. It's interesting because I have a, a almost seven year old daughter, and uh, um, she had science day at school uh, a week or two ago, and you know many people, many of the kids dressed up in the white coats, and you know they had the, the the glasses and you know we actually dressed her up as um dr emmett brown from back to the future which is you know one of her, her favorite and uh one of the other kids came just in regular uniform with no you know and you know they're like oh they didn't just didn't want to dress up and we said well scientists can look like regular people too right it's you don't have to have the white coat to be a to be a scientist and i, I think it's a it's an interesting i guess dichotomy between that what's in here and what we look like and what that image that we portray to to other people um i'm curious if i may are you you know you talked about the different roles that you have you know mother um wife uh, friend obviously academic and leader obviously in, in your positions are you a different person here than you would be back in virginia because judith and i have talked about this a lot we've traveled a lot we've studied you know judith tells great stories about her time studying in japan and you know what that what that just means for who you are on the outside, maybe not on the inside, but you know, I was just curious because you've you've left one place to to set up a life in another, right? And that's that's helping to, as you say, shape your fluid identity. I'm just I'm just always interested in how people um, change, I guess, or adapt. Yeah, that is absolutely the case, Chris. <laughs> I think um, 
Now, if I stepped onto my old university's grounds in Virginia, I think I would be very erudite and, you know, I would be totally working the, the, the scientist angle. But I, I do really think that it shifts. Yeah, I, I go back to a different place um, and, and I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty down home. I like some kind of well, I hate I hate to use the word redneck, but rednecky kind of stuff, you know. And I've sort of in, embraced those things. So, so I do think it shifted. I think for women in science, um, a lot of sort of the challenges that I went through, and and especially the generation of scientists, the female scientists who taught me, definitely had to go through. It's it's opened up so much more. We have more women science students than we do in, in many fields, in my field, than we do men. So it's it's definitely changing, but still there's this stereotype around um, what a scientist looks like, what a scientist is, but it, it is very, um, very much shifted. So I think I am a different person in Virginia, <laughs> for sure. Do you think on that note, um, Lisa and, and Interestingly, Chris and I, you know, in one of our future sessions are going to be talking about women and leadership roles and things like that. Now, as, as you've as you yourself have, have come through the process as a female in a leadership role as well, do you do you actively support more the females, would you say, who the, you can see coming through in those roles? Or that's not to say that you're favorited, you know, you, you're looking at them and that you, you're, you're favoring them in any way. But, but you know, is that something that actively you try and do in terms of supporting those female leaders more? I think that it's not a case of greater support. I think it's more a case of identifying a differential need or or not even a need, but just kind of making people more aware of strengths in particular areas and how differently women can see things, you know? And we see that, you know, encouraging um, people through the promotions process and uh, women tend to think about, uh, describe themselves as being part of groups and quite um, deferential and sometimes less less eager to, celebrate their particular role in it and and i think it's important that we we still highlight it's really important to work in groups and and that it's not a case of us catching up to men in a particular way because that's not necessarily the the right way to do things maybe we all need to to work in groups and we all need to lead but yeah i think i'm i i certainly try to help other women identify their leadership a little bit in different different ways more than well different ways from men i should say so but it's really been interesting and for instance i was talking to someone earlier who um someone put something out and and omitted her title on something and i knew that she wasn't going to to really say oh oh you know actually my title is blah you know my title is doctor and so I think that if we kind of have each other's backs around those things where it's really, it can feel really awkward. Maybe sometimes it can even be perceived as awkward, but if, if we kind of point out to other people, actually she's doctor and, you know, then it kind of makes us all feel like, you know, let's, let's, let's look at these things and, and recognize each other and support each other in that. So, yeah. 
That's really interesting. I mean, just going back a little bit then, I mean, as we've said um, during the introduction as well, you've, obviously you've got, you know, a wealth of experience within your academic area, you know, but you have recently, ish <laughs> last well, you're at, you're at 12 months now i think probably aren't you um i think i recall the interview oh Dave. my gosh um <laughs> that uh that um you know you've taken on this role of a associate dean international you know and and, and a big role for at swansea university because as i mentioned previously you know we've had, there are only three faculties that at Swansea University and, and medicine, health and life sciences uh, is an enormous area. And um, and I'd be interested just to, to to have a few of your reflections on how you've found the past 12 months. Wow, uh, it has been fascinating, terrifying um, and different than I thought it was going to be in a very good way. So um, I think it's almost like settling. I, I finally feel like I've settled into it a bit and gotten comfortable with, because initially when I took the role, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to learn all this stuff about everywhere and I've got to know everything and and know more than everybody about this particular. And, and then I, I realized of hit a wall and that was fascinating you know to to go out and learn and I felt like finally I was um receiving because sometimes you know when you're teaching a lot or or doing other roles on committees or things you feel like you're just constantly it's an output 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 rather than an input of information and learning so um so I had this very steep incline of learning but then i realized i am not going to learn i'm not going to know this stuff it's impossible to know the world students um and just sort of predict the future around these things in this international space so i i've i've sort of settled into that and now i know who to ask i think we have you being one of the very important people that i ask but also professional service colleagues you know that we have a wealth of information so it's it's getting to know those those sources and building collaborations with them and um being comfortable with that uncertainty but also just um being optimistic i think I think that we know that in the international space, a lot of times things can kind of go, you work really hard on something that goes poof, you know, it's all gone and you feel like, oh, it's such a waste, but it's not. There's always learning around it. It sounds a bit um, Pollyanna, but, but it really is the case to learn from those things and accept that it's, it's not, I, I tend to kind of, if something doesn't work out very well, I tend to think it's all about me. It didn't work because of me. And it's not. That's a bit sort of self-centered in and of itself. There's lots of things going on um, for people and what can I learn from it? But it, it, it has been fascinating. I think it's an incredible time coming out of COVID. Um, a lot of learning that we've gained through it and you know it's been a painful time but i think there's a lot of really good opportunities so as you've said i think you know lisa it's such a i suppose one of the good things with a role like 
Associate Dean International, is that it's really clear that you can't know everything about everywhere, isn't it? I mean, it's not always really clear to a lot of our colleagues who all of a sudden will fetch up and say, you know, the Malaysian higher education system, what do they do in? you like, seriously? Um, but, it, but it is clear, isn't it? Because the world is there now. This is, this, is, this is stellar Think Education podcast stuff. This The world is a big place. Mm-hmm. The world is a big place. And therefore, you can't know everything about everything, can you, everywhere? Um, and so in one, one way, I suppose, at least, that's an awareness for us, isn't it? That, that we, we know something, we bring something to the table, because otherwise, you know, you're just freeloading. So you've got to bring something to the table. But actually, it's often about bringing other people together, providing those connections, building on the things that you've already got, finding out. I mean, I think one of the things that you've done across your faculty, which has been enormously helpful as in, for the institution, let alone just your faculty, um, has been a mapping of the activity that that you do. You know, I think sometimes um, international and internationalization can be equated so much with student recruitment and student mobility. And of course, that's a really important part of it, but it's a part of it, isn't it? It's not exclusively everything that, that there is. And so something else I'd, I'd like to maybe hear a little bit more about, and you mentioned potentially this is where you could draw upon the, the projects that you've been leading in Southeast Asia and, and, and Africa, but you know, if, Thinking of internationalization, you know, what areas would you say are particularly important to you beyond the student recruitment, business planning number areas? You know, what what would you say is really important to you in terms of internationalization? I think that for me, internationalization is really important in the areas of of looking towards creating, uh, towards UN sustainable goals, really. And thinking about that, um, I don't wanna say charitable, but um, beneficial aspects of internationalization. So, because recruitment, we think, oh, well, you know, we've just gotta get these people to pay these fees. And I really don't, I really don't see it like that because, because what are we giving people? We're giving people an education, you know, that, and, and we, we are giving them a quality education. So there's benefit within that. So, so the recruitment piece isn't just about, you know, increasing numbers for me, but I also think, I think of the incredible power of education across the world, connecting people. So, um, and resources and, and in a way where we don't just go into a country and say, well, here's how you do it. Here's how you have a proper education. This is how you, um, for instance, teach doctors to be doctors or something. It's around, and I've been doing some of this work with um, with the Royal Society of Biology, and some people call it sort of decolonizing curricula, and we're, we're struggling with the terminology around this, but really helping appreciate the knowledge that's always that's already in a place and helping to contextualize how we develop that knowledge and 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 um, bring people together and along within a, a way that they've decided is is beneficial to them so I think that that's something that I've 
I've really appreciated. And I think that that's a new, maybe it's always been there, but it maybe hasn't been an emphasis of internationalization. So where can we make all of these things meet together. So so where can we have students? We could have student mobility, we could have recruitment, but how can we meet it all up so it's it's something that's needed and good and uh, sustainable, I think. It's sustainable with uh, in all sorts of ways, I think, um, around those things. I, I think that that's the really interesting space where things are moving now. And has, um, I'll pass over to Chris in a, in, a, in a separate question, but has COVID and the, you know, the impact of the pandemic reinforced your points of view or changed them at all? Thinking particularly of your own background and the background of those people that you work, work with, you know, if, if, um, if there's one area where we all realise, you know, we need to work together and there's a, a collective need to to develop and to support it's around the areas of health and social care and, and well-being etc you know so has has covid you think reinforced or shaped or slightly diff focused your you know the ways in which you've been thinking in a slightly different way at all i i had expectations for what would i i predicted i thought what what would all happen from covid and i think that i've been really wrong on a lot of in, in a lot of ways especially around students i think that uh, we've you know it as a person who's in the area of medicine we've i haven't been particularly surprised you know this isn't something that's you know, there's been pandemic since time immemorial and and we've kind of ignored the fact that they the potential power of those and that became strikingly came strikingly home in COVID. Um, I think around students and in particular student mobility I have been really surprised um, because I thought coming from my background I'm an Air Force kid we moved around quite a bit before we settled in Virginia up in sticks every two seconds. I hated it at the time, but it gave me itchy feet as an adult. So I get a little bit restless and that's why this job is great because I get to move around and see stuff, but kind of have a home here in Swansea. So, um, but what's interesting is, and I was speaking with some, some colleagues today, uh, yesterday about this, where students I thought were, as soon as the pandemic was over, well, over as much as it is now, as much as we're ever going to have it over, I think. Um, I thought that they were just going to want to jump on planes, go places, go nuts, leave, go really, really engage with this. And some of them have, some of them really want that. I think in particular, our international students who've already done these things are very keen to do that. Um, but there's also something that I didn't anticipate that I think that because students have been online for uh, almost three years now, that that they're really reticent and there's an anxiety around engaging with, with new things. And um, not all of them, I think it's important to think, uh, you know, students aren't just one monolith of, of people, but uh, I think that we have some work to do to get them warmed up again and engaging and maybe not in the way 
that mobility used to look like, you know, I think that also because of the cost of living crisis, students are really impacted from that and they just aren't going to be able to afford to go places. So how can we rethink um, opportunity, international opportunities around um, Zoom? I mean, you know, it's not the greatest thing, but at least we're, we're able to do this through, through a medium like that, you know, sitting in three different places. So how can we expand that and widen access to the international um, activity and, and combine elements. So, you know, maybe there's a Zoom element and then maybe a few students go and then, you know, to make a visit somewhere and then maybe there's a, a follow-up that's online as well. So I think there will always, always be value in actually going to a place and being pushed out of your comfort zone and not knowing stuff. And, um, but I've been surprised by, by where that kind of took us. I thought that that was going to launch much more quickly than it actually has. I hope that answers your I question. Think, I'm not sure. Absolutely. And I think also um, what struck me when you were you were talking there as well, Lisa, and, and thinking about the response to the last question and looking at, you know, the sustainable development goals, the beneficial aspects of education. And you just mentioned then as well, widening access is, is there, is there potentially though a dichotomy here and that you might you, you've got all of those areas and and the positivity potentially that technology has brought to those of course that can access it but not everybody can but given the cost of living crisis certainly that we've got present in in the uk but in many many countries is there a possibility that that higher education in particular is just going to become increasingly more elitist just those that can afford to do certainly the travel will be able to do the travel and those that can't will have to look to other forms of technology is there is there a tension there do you think potentially that, that we're looking at and bigger bigger question what can we do about it wow okay <laughs> Yes, there is an absolute tension. I do think that it already is. I don't say, I wouldn't say that higher education is elitist, but it's certainly elite. You know, there are only certain people who can access that. And we can say, oh, well, there's loans and all this kind of stuff, but there's, there's all kinds of barriers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't claim to have not had privilege because I did, but I was, I was the first woman to go to university, you know, I'm the only person to have it. So, so I've seen to a more limited extent what, what sort of, there's almost a knowledge uh, barrier there as well. It's not just money, it's knowing the roots through things. Um, so I think, and how to find opportunities as a young person. Um, I think that we really have a role as a university to reach out to that and to never um, forget that's part of our mission to draw people through education. I think that apprenticeships and micro credentials are going to be um, really important. Um, 
you know, micro-credentials for lifelong learning, um, but also drawing people together. You know, I, I worked as a, an undergraduate. I, I went in, thought I wanted to study law and um, wanted to change my major because, you know, in America they have majors. I wanted to change my major at the end of my second year. And my parents said, well, how much longer is it going to take you? I was like, well, kind of four years. And they were like, well, sorry, we can't do it. You're going to have to get a job. So I worked as a lab technician and went to school part-time. It took me seven years to finish my undergraduate degree. Um, and I, but I did, and then I did a PhD, etc. So I, and I, I've been a little bit struck by how the UK is a little bit less amenable to that as a, as a form of doing education. So I think we have to be much more flexible much more flexible and think about it in the international space as well. So not just around home students being able to go part time or have micro or apprenticeships credit for for prior learning and things. But how do we make it um, more accessible? I, it, you know, a lot of times it, it does come down to money and we're going to have to prioritize putting resources in those areas. Um, and see that we as a country are not going to improve GDP and create a workforce for the future mm -hmm. if we don't really think about that, you know, and, and also seeing the benefit of international students coming here. I know that there's a lot of um, discussion around, it, it, you know, and some very real concerns um, around immigration and students coming in and and sort of pressures that that puts on institutions and and um, local governments but but they they're so important to the culture of of higher education what we learn and and they will be essential for the success of our country especially in medicine for us you know we are we really need doctors we need nurses we need scientists and a lot of times um, we don't have that skill set within the home population. So it's around integrating within that and, and moving forward. So um, it's a really, really, that tension is always there. And I think, I think we have to be aware too that when we think that we've, we've helped solve that tension, I don't, it's so deep that there will always be layers on it that we need to keep. I think it, we just need to keep pushing against it and keep, keep it in our heads that that's there and that's something that we need to work against i mean as you as you say lisa you know one thing we certainly have noticed particularly i suppose due to the pandemic but even just more more broadly and certainly in in, in the uk are the challenges on the health service you know the absolutely fantastic work that the, the people do within it you know and our doctors and our nurses um but that that we we are stretched and the service itself is stretched and of course one way in which that can be assisted is by bringing people you know in from other countries and expertise in from other countries whilst being mindful that that one doesn't want to in any way disadvantage other countries in bringing yeah. people here but but i guess again as with any with any good area within mobility it's two way isn't it so what you are hoping is that people will come to the country that you're in but also that people within your own country will go to other countries as well so it's something that can be mutually beneficial but as the world now 
does start to open up more and we are starting to get on planes more whilst being mindful probably more of, of, of you know issues around the sustainable development goals of, of, of climate change and of, of you know the reason to be just doing things um, because it is important to be doing them in that sort of a way you know where do you think potentially there might be a, a, a focus or an area where we can where we can look at certainly at institutions you know internationally where might we be able to go and what might we be able to do i'm i'm minded that as well you know particularly within the areas that we've talked about for example you know often if you're either doing it might not be a nursing degree but it might be a diploma or something like that you've got to have a placement in a in a in a hospital or something like that and that might not be possible so are there are there ways in which you know, we can deal with some of those types of challenges? I think that, well, online, uh, that that's creates a real opportunity to, to draw students together um, and have those conversations. We're, we are um, around research collaborations in, in our faculty. We've, we have strategic partners in um, a number of countries and in, in Texas in particular. And so we've started up a, you know, and we, it, the reality is we could have done this before COVID. The techno technology was there, but we weren't just, we just weren't used to using it, I think, and using it as, as a resource to reach out across, across that um, time and space separation. So we're going to have a strategic partner seminar series where we're connecting up researchers um, to, to collaborate and and I've done a bit of matchmaking in the background thinking about well you know who what are these people looking at compared to um, some of our collaborators um, and so drawing them together and I think that a lot of times student activity can build upon research connections so sometimes in, at least in my experience if you if you're just connecting up a student activity together especially online it can be um, it can be a little bit more temporary and very dependent upon mm. particular individuals. And so if we can sort of build research collaborations as a, a lattice for student opportunities, I think that that has really worked. So, and, and including students who, who may never set foot in, in that country, um, and maybe shouldn't considering a lot of the, you know, the climate crisis and things, maybe those things need to be much more targeted. I do feel very strongly we need to have those things still because there's there's no substitute um, for going to a place and, and recognizing that that can be very um, limiting for a number of, of students. So I, I don't have an answer around how we make that less or more accessible, I guess, but um, being mindful of that, um, opening things up for for those online activities, I think is is essential and getting people used to it because it can be quite daunting when especially uh, you are speaking in uh, with people whose um, there might be some language barriers and um, it's really interesting having some of those international activities online that can feel quite stilted at first, but then, you know, gradually over time, they loosen up and, and everybody becomes um, 
quite more fluid and, and communication and friendly. And I think it's it's kind of seeing that through that point, you know, getting students through that, especially through all the elements that I've talked about before, where there's that that COVID um, sort of shyness, getting them through that and having some more interactions around that, I think is is really important. That's great. That's great, Lisa. I know we're going to probably have to start to, to think of, of um, rounding the, the session off in a moment. So, but one one final question for me. And, um, you know, we've ranged across a few topics today, just to say, you know, we've gone from cheerleading. Um, so if you've only just joined the, the podcast, go back, go back and listen to that. We've gone from cheerleading. And I must say that I was a wannabe cheerleader wannabe okay, cheerleader. I didn't make the squad. So I actually, it all comes down to the fact that you just couldn't yeah. put it as a cheerleader. I know. That exactly. you've got to be an eminent scientist. Exactly. I'm saying. So we've gone exactly. from cheerleading to the sustainable development goals, to micro-credentials, to, you know, virtual and international mobility. Welcome to the World of the Think Education podcast. I would like to ask a final um, question to you. What now? For international higher education wow. where do you think it's going to go and is it going to continue i think it's absolutely going to continue it has to continue um but we are going to have to drive it as a sector to make sure that it does and to recognize the value in that i think it goes back to um, showing the value beyond international recruitment income and the real cultural diversity. Um, and, and we have to have a global reach, you know, there's all sorts of, we're not just competing against um, higher education institutions in the UK anymore, you know, um, and not just not just on the internet. So it's not just international students who are, are looking at us, well, comparing us to, to institutions in the UK, US, Australia. It's students who are here. So you can take online credentials from, or micro-credentials from Harvard if you want in, in here in Swansea. So it's around how do we do these things and, and not trying to do all of it. I think that we we need to kind of all reflect on what what is our institution good at what is our usp what what are, what are our strengths what what can we do really well um and maybe making decisions about what we shouldn't do as well but doing them really well doing them really well and making them exciting and agile because I think that's one thing that I've learned in, in this role is, is things just change so quickly. And you think you've, you've dealt with a, a problem or a new situation in the world or with different student groups, and then it shifts and it's, it's all different. So how can we build that into our systems where we are constantly, constantly looking outward and shifting how we're doing things, being mindful of the tension that we've got to know who we are and, and move forward in that. So I think that that's how things are gonna change, that um, you know, institutions should be comprehensive as well and not necessarily blow in the wind with, with fads, but, but being very careful that, that our um, emphasis 
globally needs to be cued into those things. So um, it's an interesting time and, and recognize that um, I think we can't lose who we are to the local community either. I know it's, it sounds like, oh, we've got to be all these things, but I think that, I think we're big, it's, you know, universities are comprehensive institutions, so they, they can use resource to, to make sure that they, they're covered in particular areas. So, so we need to be relevant on the global stage, but we also need to be relevant to Swansea and South Wales, you know, so, and what, how can we draw on that community? I've, I've, I've always felt very passionately. And if we have some of those offerings that I discussed earlier, you know, if, if you're somebody who's, who's been here and not considered higher education, can we have, you know, bring them in and provide that sort of doorway for them, I guess. Um, so I think, I don't know, that's kind of a, I hope that wasn't too sort of fluffy or <laughs> I'm not sure what the word was, but I hope that answered your question, Judith. That's great. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Lisa. And we, we really appreciate it. I'm going to hand over to Chris now, maybe for a final few words sure. on cheerleading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. The what you've just been saying now is is very much linked to the the chapter on identity and place that Judith and I have written and conversations that we've had about local global and I really like your you know your conceptualization of a university should be seen as an international place because the world is international right there's it's not one thing or the other it's a, it's how you as you said at the beginning how you connect things right how you how you link things together and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You, know, you can like one thing and like something else at the same time. And, and the more we understand those, then the, the better the links can, can go. And I also think that, <laughs> just, I was sitting here listening to, to between the two of you, I think you've either come up with the blurb for the next book, Judith, or the, the tagline for the podcast, which is, you can't know everything all the time about everything. And to prove it, here's the Think Education podcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think that, but I think that approaching it, and to hear a scientist say this, obviously to approaching it from that position of humility, where it's like, no, no, we, we don't know the answers, particularly in internationalization. And to think that we do is another form of colonization, right? It, it's to perpetrate something out there based on our fundamental understanding of self with no regard of the other, when we can learn from the other and reinforce or adapt to self. And so it's, I think, you know, it's a very healthy attitude for us all, all to have that that openness to to learn, right? I mean, and if you can't have that as an educator, then, you know, who's going to, right? So, no, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we appreciate your your time. Um, oh, and, thank uh, you. It's been insight. wonderful. <laughs> it has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a joy.